A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, morning, morning the 13th, 13th of, of December. December. Good, Good morning. With much space and discussion from now until 11 a.m. This, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. LMFM. The increase in the cost of fuel and energy prices is pinching our pockets. Inflation is at a 20-year high. The cost of living in Ireland is rising. Uh, It's rising very fast. Uh, And after more than a decade of little or no inflation, uh, we now see prices rising uh, at a rate of more than 5% a year. I don't think we've seen that uh, maybe in uh, 20 years. And that's very much driven uh, by increases in fuel prices, increases in energy prices. And truckers are protesting today over fuel prices, but it is not just diesel and petrol that are going up in price. Uh, we know it's very difficult for a lot of families who are making ten, uh, trying to make ends meet and trying to uh, find enough money to pay the bills at the end of the week or the end of the month. Uh, and of course, we know it from our own experience, going into the shops, going into the forecourt, uh, receiving our uh, electricity or gas bills through the post. Um, and we do need to help. Government says it has been putting plans in place to help people meet these costs. Uh, the government is aware of the European uh, toolbox and the options that are available to us uh, to assist uh, families and households in particular with the high cost of energy. Uh, that's currently under consideration at the moment. Uh, we'd certainly like to do something uh, that would help with uh, electricity bills and maybe gas bills as well. And the Cabinet will be asked tomorrow to approve a plan which will knock €100 Euro off all household electricity bills in January. Uh, and we'd hope to be in a position to make a decision. Uh, in the near future uh, so that people will see the effect of that uh, in the bills that they receive in the new year uh, being a little bit less than perhaps they expected. That's the Tánaiste Leo Radker speaking in uh, the Dáil last week. Let's speak uh, to Sean Healy, the Director of Social Justice Ireland. Good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. €100, it sounds good, but uh, not to your ears. You're describing this as a, a gimmick. Yeah, well, we didn't actually call it a gimmick, but it was the, the, the uh, it was the um, T-shirt said it wasn't a gimmick. Uh, but anyway, that the proceeding from that altogether, what we're pointing out is very simple: uh, that the the consumer price index, the measure of inflation that's done by the Central Statistics Office, it shows that in 2021 prices have continued to rise month after month, and that now uh, we have a situation, as the, as the Tarnished pointed out there, of five percent. Uh, increase in the cost of living. But in 2021, the poorest and most vulnerable in Ireland, who are depending on core social welfare rates, got no increase whatsoever. So the reality is that the value of their very low 
welfare rate has been reduced by a further 5% simply because the government decided that they weren't going to give them the slightest increase in 2021. Okay. Not alone that, to mm. add insult to injury, it's after doing a similar thing in 2022, it gave a, a rise of a five euro uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the welfare rate, in the core welfare rate, and they made, they made a big gush out of this as if they had done a great job. And indeed, the, the Tonisha was making a big deal out of it last week as well, because he said there were four other things, apart from this 100 euro, that the government is doing to help combat the prices for people. And one of them was the increase in welfare rates. And what? And he's just pretending that he's doing it because, in effect, the increased welfare rates by five euro a week—that's less than that's less than two and a half percent. Heading into a situation which looks like the inflation rate next year will again be five percent, uh, four and a half to five is what's been predicted by economists in different areas. Um, now you're looking at that situation, it means again that in 2022 the value of the, the, the welfare rate for the poorest um, is, is going to fall, uh, means that in effect the, the value of that welfare payment will fall again. For, and that will be the third year in a row uh, that, the, that, the, that has actually happened. In the two budgets of this government and in the last budget of the previous government three years in a row this is what's allowed to be, to be happening. And that's absolutely not acceptable. So you might be getting more money, but you can buy less with the money that you have. Precisely. And not at all that, the real value, this is the real clincher to me, it's just come out from the Parliamentary uh, Budget Office. Now, this is the Iraq, the the, the Doyle and the Shannon, they have their own Parliamentary Budget Office, which we advocated they should set up for a long time. They eventually set it up. And they produced an analysis just at the end of the week of the, of, of the week there. Um, and what it shows is that although the, the actual um, money being paid is 208 euro, uh, that's going to be paid in 2022, the actual real value of that when you benchmark it over the last 10 years is not 208, it's 192 euro 36. So that's like 15 euro less than it actually than the nominal sum. The value has fallen in that period and uh, over the last decade. And like that is, uh, even though there were a few years when when they did actually in in, in 14, 15. No, it's from 16 on, sorry, from 16 on. They did, or 15 on, they actually increased welfare rates. um, But overall, when you look at the decade, the the real value of the welfare rate now is down more than 15 euro on its its value in 2011, 10 years ago. So you don't buy into this argument uh, that the government helps people with increases in welfare rates. Uh, There were three other arguments uh, that the Taunish made. Uh, One was that people would be getting pay increases. Uh, Another was that people would be paying less tax. Uh, And then the fourth reason was a rent freeze. Now, like the, 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 the issue of having getting a pay rise, terrific for the people who get pay rise, and I think they deserve it. But but if you're depending on social welfare, you're not you're not in the pay system at all, and then um, so that that's problematic. But anyway, if you wanted to look at what the government has done for people on low to middle incomes, that's people with jobs, uh, you find a very interesting situation as well. Why? Because in the if you look at the two budgets of this government, and you look at a couple with two children. That's four in a household, right? And they, they have one earner, say, 30,000 euro. 
of an of an earn not 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 nothing uh, well above welfare rates and so on uh, but still not a high income like thirty thousand what do they benefit over the two years combined they're better off by thirty nine cents a week as a result of what government did in the budget. So, like, that tells you everything, really, that you need to know. That low-to-middle-income people, whether they're on low pay, whether they're part of the working poor, whether they're part of the, depending on welfare because they don't have a job or because they're in an age category, like uh, retired or whatever, um, they they cannot depend on government. They certainly can't depend on this government uh, to, to actually deal with the reality that the value of their payments is going down, that they're being squeezed that they're the most squeezed mm. in the society. And they'll and be very glad to get this €100 Euro knocked off of their bills, uh, I'm sure. Is it right that this is a, a universal uh, move by government that everybody gets it, the very rich, the richest of the rich, as well as the poor of the poorest, uh, will have €100 Euro knocked off their bills, if reports are correct? No, that is not the best way to use the money. It's going to cost something like €170 million. Euro. Uh, you're giving it to millionaires and billionaires and whatever. The, the bottom line in this is the, the government is refusing again to say, like it's trying to face up to the actual reality. It's trying to pretend that the, what's being faced by by somebody uh, with 150 grand of an income is exactly the same as as somebody on welfare or somebody on 30,000 with two kids. Like that type of thing is just misreading the reality completely. Uh, basically, you have a situation in which there's, if you have 170 million euros to give away, you certainly could target it better so that uh, people with low to middle incomes in jobs and so on, and people on, on uh, depending on welfare, uh, that all of those uh, would actually benefit properly. And the idea that in some way, what I heard, you, you didn't have the clip there, but I've heard him say it previously, uh, the, the Tanish to sing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the Taoiseach too, uh, that the, um, the, 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 the fuel allowance actually covers this for poorer people. Yeah. When, when a whole a large proportion of poor people don't have access to the fuel allowance. They can't get access to it because the, mm. the conditions for accessing it rule them out. But many many of those who do have access to it are, are living alone and uh, they got a, a, an increase in that uh, as well. Uh, so that was an €8 Euro increase overall combined, uh, or €13 Euro if you combine it with the increase in the but pension. After, so that wasn't yeah, bad. Okay, that's, for the, that's for the coming year, but that's actually after many years of getting no increase in the living alone allowance. Mm-hmm. But still, in all, it, it was a good increase and probably will cover the increased costs of energy for people who are in that circumstance. Well, it'll go some distance towards it, and that's fair enough. But the bottom line in it is that the, the, the larger proportion of households uh, in, uh, who are in low incomes are not one-person households. There's a lot of one-person households. They have absolutely have to be dealt with. But what you have to do, it's very interesting that uh, the the that was going on there about the, the idea of a universal payment uh, to deal with, with issues like energy costs. So he gives everybody the same amount of money. But he absolutely refuses, and so does the government, absolutely refuses to give everybody, uh, and last year, for example, would not give core welfare rates any increase. He gave some different categories of people increases of a fiver by last year. That is, the last year in the budget for 2021. But in actual fact, didn't give the core rates at all. Why? Because he, he's 
was saying at the time, he doesn't believe in universal payments. When he has a discussion about universal basic income, he's negative about the idea of a universal payment. But when it comes to giving money to billionaires and millionaires who don't need it whatsoever, uh, he's very much in favour of universal uh, payments. Now, there's there's an inconsistency there somewhere that he needs to take a look at. But the bottom line for me is is very straightforward. There's uh, what we're seeing is uh, people on low incomes, poor people, mm. people on low like with low paid jobs, uh, and people on, depending on core welfare rates are being left behind over and over and over again. And that's what we're saw, we've seen in mm. 2021. We saw it in 2020, and now we're looking at it again in 2022. And, and it's not just energy cr- costs. Uh, you're publishing your national social monitor today. What uh, you call Ireland's social scoreboard, and uh, it is energy costs, but combined with mortgage, rent, food, clothing, transport, childcare, you name it, uh, and uh, indeed all of the pressures that this is putting on people. Uh, and you're saying that housing uh, is, of course, the biggest uh, part of uh, the problem for many people who are paying up to 40% of their disposable income on housing. Precisely. And when somebody passes, that, that's, that's the kind of measurement that's used, that if you spend more than 40% on your accommodation, then you're overstretched uh, on, 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 on that. It should be and no more than a third, should it? About a third would be would be reasonable, but in actual fact, we've got now we've got we've got higher and higher above forty uh, percent, and now we, we're getting a situation where almost one in ten renters experiences a high level of housing cost, which takes more than forty percent. That's like almost one in ten of those who are renting in Ireland are above that 40%. They're paying more than 40% of their income on that. That means that they're not able to deliver the other kinds of things, that, essentials that they need uh, to, to sort of live life with dignity. And what is really concerning is the increase in the housing costs for tenants renting at the lowest possible rate, because even people on, on, on the social welfare who are in social housing and so on, uh, they, have, uh, they have a serious problem with this. This is even more worrying considering that many of these rents are so Yet the proportion of tenants in this situation has more than doubled since 2016. It's now almost one in uh, one in ten, almost 10 percent. And like what you're looking at in a situation where it should, the 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 the, the, the arrow should be going in the opposite direction. What we're looking at is an increase in the people who are being left in a situation where the housing costs are beyond them, or the accommodation costs that they're paying. For for rent and like housing costs are the main item of expenditure for many European households but Ireland is no exception to that okay and, and as you say yourself there's a whole lot of other things alongside mortgage payments and, and rent that people have to pay uh, and households experience housing cost over, overburden as we call it they're likely uh, to find themselves short of cash for other necessities such as food and clothing and transport and childcare and social inclusion and that is what an awful lot of people are facing into this as they head towards Christmas less than two weeks away. Okay, and it could get a a whole lot worse, of course, because inflation does have a tendency uh, to generate more inflation. Uh, They do think uh, that this will peter out uh, sometime uh, next year. uh, But, uh, I mean, at the moment, uh, we're living pretty comfortably uh, because of mortgage interest rates. Uh, They are... Uh, still at a very low rate uh, but we could see those rates skyrocket as a result of inflation. That's that's absolutely true and even as they are at the moment 
there, there's a problem with with mortgages uh, because there's a lot of people have gone into arrears. Over 15% of households in Ireland are now in arrears compared to the European average of 8.6. So 8.6% of households across Europe are in arrears uh, on their mortgages, uh, rents or utilities, those kind of things. But in actual fact, in Ireland, it is practically double that at 15.1%. And as they build up in arrears, they have a debt, that gives them a, a, a bigger problem to deal with. And in the context, and that, that adds to any inflation that's out there. And what we were talking about already that mm. you were highlighting, that the value of the welfare, the rate they're getting is going down. The value of their pay is not going up in any serious way, particularly if you're low paid. Okay, the minimum wage goes up, but the minimum wage is a long way below the living wage. is two euro an hour below the living the, the, the living wage. If you wanted a living wage, you'd have to increase the minimum wage by a couple of euro um, an hour. Uh, and, if, and if that were done, uh, then you'd, have, you'd be some distance towards the, uh, having mm. people with low incomes, particularly the working poor, getting to, uh, to grips with things like arrears and mortgages and other, other bills that, and other debts that they have run up as they try to survive and try to provide the basics of food and clothing and transport and childcare in their ho- in their homes as well. Okay, and what prospect is there of uh, people improving uh, their situation? You're particularly worried, uh, I think, about young people who are not in education and who are not in work either, for that matter. And I think they're a very serious group of people that need to be looked at because uh, what you have in effect is is a situation of. The, the people who are they're known as NEETs they're not in education employment or training and I think we, we, we have a, a, a serious problem in this in this country because of people in that space the, chal- the challenge presented uh, is, 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 is quite serious there are many reasons why people in this state in this situation of being a NEET is one of the most concerning indicators relating to young people and after all we talk a lot about young people are are the coming generation and all that we have to be careful and mind them and so on and so on but um, they, 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 what we find in, the, in our report published today that is that young people with lower education levels face a three times greater risk of entering uh, this, this category of not in employment uh, education or training that category uh, uh, so they're three times more likely to be going in that direction than they are going to talking of going to a third level education. And the, uh, the, the, the interesting thing like, is that Ireland has what, uh, something like 14.3% um, uh, and uh, was, was at that and has, go, has gone up to 15.2% now. That, and that means that f- over 15% mm. of, all chill, of, all, of all young people are in that space. And that's, a, that's not a good thing for the country. Yeah, well, not a good thing for them either because uh, I take it uh, that some of them, if not many of them, will spend a lifetime unemployed. And there's a real problem there. It won't, it won't be their fault because as we move towards a future where digital transformation will disrupt the labour market, if, they're, if, if people are not in employment, if they're not in education, if they're not in training, they're going to get left behind. And what we have, what we're facing with the digital reality as it's emerging at a rate of knots, what we're going to find is that the people who were be left behind before are the ones who are going to left behind, be left behind again, and that's not a very good, good situation at all. It, I think it's very, very important that we we we, we recognise that 
this kind of situation of not being employment, educational training, um, and the digital revolution uh, could actually have the biggest impact on people with low levels of education and skill. And it's important that this cohort are not left behind. Absolutely critical that they're not left behind. And they need a long-term policy response, which would encompass alternative approaches aimed at, at ensuring that young people who leave school early have alternative means uh, to acquire skills required to, to progress into employment and, and within employment as well, and to participate in society. And if we don't do that, we're going to have a large cohort of young people coming through and totally out lost contact with the labour market and totally without the skills that are required to live or to work in the modern economy, yeah, the modern digital economy. The opportunities we'd all want for all of our children. Precisely. Uh, Sean, uh, any thoughts on uh, the hauliers and farmers protesting today uh, and the way that they're protesting? I don't think the way that they're protesting protesting does them any favours. I I, I can understand fully why they have a problem with the increases in uh, energy prices, but the reality in that context is that Ireland has been too slow in moving towards uh, uh, sort of the changes that are required um, to to sort of deal with with the energy uh, challenges that we face on the one hand and to deal with the climate issues that go along with that. So we have a a situation where energy costs are going up as, as they're being brought in, but then uh, there's issues about how you adri- how you adjust this uh, to to and try to get people to behave differently so that they protect the environment and uh, don't use carbon and so on. I think that these strategies are only halfway thought through. And what I would say to government is that when you do something like a carbon tax or when you do something like a like make a decision not to increase welfare or whatever, would you please look at the impact? on the people like do an impact assessment and don't give me the impact on a millionaire or a billionaire give me the impact on the low paid on the people who are at the margin on the people who are struggling to to, to keep a job going and and, and that, I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation they feel that they're not being mm-hmm. listened to I think myself they're not being listened to okay. and that, that's why they actually go out and actually and protest I, I you're don't, not, you're I, not I, in favour of what's being done today though Sorry? I, I, no, no, I, I don't think that that's the best way to do it. What, what government needs, and I've been saying this for quite a while and we've talked mm-hmm. about it, yep. is government needs a national social dialogue. This kind of situation that if truckers or anybody else needs, needs to be heard, they have to go off on the roads and block up the, the country and annoy everybody and, and, and cause disruption to businesses and cause all sorts of trouble in the build-up to Christmas. Like, that's don't, an indictment don't make of a government that basically yeah. has not considered social dialogue yeah. to be important to include others other than they're doing they're, they have a certain amount of social dialogue with unions and with employers but don't make people it. shout to be heard yeah, exactly and okay. the problem is at the moment that like with this government you have to shout extremely loud but of course what's going to happen is that when people when they don't talk to people and when they don't have a social dialogue process people will ensure that they're going to be heard okay. by raising the decibel level and well, becoming awkward Heard today. Yeah, there's no exactly clear. All right, and some others will as well. I, uh, I don't doubt. Okay, Sean, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us. Uh, that's uh, the Director of Social Justice Ireland, Father Sean Healy. 
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Paddy Common is uh, the Head of Communications with AA Ireland. He joins us now. And good morning to you, Paddy, and uh, thanks uh, for your time again on uh, the programme. If I, I remember correctly last time that there was a Hollier's dispute, I, I think you had sympathy with the cause, but weren't too much in favour of the method. A little bit what Sean, like what Sean Healy was saying to us a few minutes ago. Yeah, we're seeing, like, just, I, I checked in just to one of my colleagues just to see how the, the protest was going. And um, yeah, most most of the routes are cleared now. There was some, were, were a few delays this morning. There were a few closures around the city centre and Kildare Street. Um, and the city centre is a little bit busy uh, or in and around the keys, keys as, as the protest moves towards the city centre. So yeah, look, the, the disruption, look, it's never nice. And especially... Um, you know, around Christmas time, and, and I know a lot of the retailers are saying, you know, why why do it now? But look, I suppose we have to respect their right to protest. And look, it is getting this topic discussed, and and it's getting, you know, it did get it, you know, discussed at the highest level. So, in one way, um, if this does get this conversation going, it's no bad thing because the prices are getting out of control, and we know, and you know, we're hearing from. Uh, from people that they, they, they're getting to the stage where they can't afford to put fuel in their cars to do the things that they need to do. So that, that's never right. OK, but uh, by the sounds of things, it's uh, not on the scale of the last protest. Are, are there fewer trucks involved? I don't know the actual numbers, but it doesn't appear to have been as, as busy. But the thing, Michael, to remember is whatever about the routes, the routes can handle various numbers of trucks. It's what happens when they get into the city centre. You know, yeah. It only takes a handful of trucks to bring the city centre to a, an absolute standstill if they decide that that's what they want to do. So um, so what really, I, I guess we'll see in the next hour or so how that pans out. But um, but so far, it's not been not been dreadfully bad in terms of the routes. OK, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will hope uh, that it stays uh, that way. Uh, yeah. I think uh, Dublin Port uh, will be the main target of uh, the protest today. Uh, but while you're with us, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more about behaviour on uh, the roads, uh, because if you find yourself behind those trucks uh, today, uh, there's probably little chance of overtaking, beeping or flashing lights. Uh, some of the things that many of the people you've been surveying have experienced on the road uh, and indeed road rage is a very common thing for people to experience 70% of us say we've experienced someone else's road rage on the roads yeah we did a survey of, of, of 8,200 members and, and really it was just about a topic that isn't I don't think discussed enough about uh, uh, you know which is road rage and the thing of a difficult thing about road rage is it's not an actual offence um, I've been talking to, to, to the Guardian about this and, and obviously it falls in under assault um, and, and assault is, is a wide-ranging offence as well and it's often down to the perceived threat from uh, the person from the other person. So, um, But yeah, look, what we're seeing is you know, the 7 out of 10 people have been on the receiving end of, of, of some sort of uh, what they would call road rage um, now it doesn't necessarily mean fifty cups on the side of the road. Thank God we'd only see we've only had one percent of people in the survey who've actually been physically assaulted. But most of it, um, most of it centres around you know verbal aggression, um, you know sort of uh, you know beeping of horns and and mm. and what would they would perceive as aggressive. Uh, driving, so so it is. It's it's, it's common. Yeah. Um, like any of these surveys, Michael, you know, often people don't report that they would be with the ones doing it, but it's it's quite close. Six out of ten people would say that they have, you know, experienced great irritation with people 
um, but it doesn't come down to sort of uh, jumping out of the car. But mm. we have uh, 10 people out of the uh, 8,200 uh, reported that they uh, habitually get out of the car to confront someone else. That they habitually do? Yes, yes, 10 people. <laughs> oh 10 people reported that, that they, they, they do it often, yes. <laughs> what, did they let them out at the weekends or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, well, exactly. Oh I don't know where the survey, I'm not sure where the survey came from. But, uh, <laughs> but there you go. Oh my um, God, that's, that's scary stuff. Yeah, <laughs> They're doing it all the time. But, but I mean, uh, okay, but uh, aggressive behaviour and all of that can be very upsetting, but it can be worse than that uh, as well because it can be very disconcerting uh, and uh, people's concentration can go as a result uh, of uh, feeling threatened or, or whatever uh, the perception is. Yeah, of course. And, and, and you know, look, some of the some of the comments that were in the the survey were were slightly worrying. Insofar as you know, people saying that they've experienced tailgating, uh, people brake testing them. And if anyone doesn't know that, that's when someone sort of pulls in front of you and starts jabbing the brakes to to to, to put you off. You know, there's people have had coffee cups thrown at them, chewing gum, coins. But more worrying is really people being followed. And we've seen, we've had comments like that in the survey. So um, whatever about, you know, a, a man, you know, a man's followed a man briefly, but we've had men following women as well. And, um, you know, that's that's very worrying. And, you know, the advice from the Gardaí in that case is, if you know, is to call the guards or drive to the nearest guard station because that's a, that's a much more onerous um, form of you know form of of offence and and um, but we've 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 seen several comments in that, that that you know people have experienced that being followed so someone you've done you know someone uh, has taken offence to something you've done and then they've decided to turn around on the road and 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 tailgate you as a result which is which could be terrifying for someone mm, absolutely uh, what do you do if, if, in such a, a circumstance. Yeah, look, the, the thing that we'd say, and we've spoken to psychologists and, and the like, you know, the, the key advice is not to engage with people like this. So, so look, if you've got yourself in that sort of situation, you know, often, uh, you know, a wave or an acknowledgement that you maybe, you know, you made a mistake and diffuse the situation. But if you are in any sort of danger like that, do not get out of the car to, to confront someone. You never know what you're facing. Um, call the guardie if you're if you're um, upset. Or, or worried, or, or drive to the nearest guard the station. That will often, um, especially if you're being followed, that will mm. that will you know more than likely uh, diffuse the situation or or get rid of that person. Um, but but no, do not engage. Is the advice you know psychologists will tell us that people are going through something called flooding, and you know or otherwise we'd probably know it as red mist. So they, they you know emotionally they they've lost control. Often when they're sitting in a car, they feel like they're in a bubble. They don't feel like they're in you know. They're out. They're outside. They feel like they're self-contained and safe within that bubble, and that they can behave in a in a, in a different way. And um, but look, do not get out of the car. Um, you know, assault varies from from various forms. And I was only just talking to a, a guard a guard this morning on mm-hmm. that. And you know, he explained to me that um, you know, assault can be uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna beep and kill you, or down to um, down to you know, a shaking of a fist or a perceive mm-hmm. a perception of threat. They are all categories of, yeah. of assault before you get into actually, you know, someone hitting someone yeah. at a box. Well, what type of a person are you? What standards do you set for yourself? And if you are the type of person who gets out of your car to confront another driver on a regular basis, uh, maybe you think about getting the bus, please. Yeah, well, well, Michael, the psychologist would say that most of the time people aren't, you know, it's not the driving offence, it's something else going on with their life. And, yeah. and you know, so there's, the, uh, there's other areas they need to look at. Okay. 
uh, maybe getting out of bed in, earlier in the morning is a, a, an yes. idea as well so that exactly. you're not in such a rush. Paddy, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. As always, Paddy Cummins is Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, thanks to Joan, who's just sent us in a text telling us that she lives on a main road. She's been living there for 40 years and she has to reverse out onto the main road. Uh, I'm sure that's uh, not something uh, that a lot of people would fancy doing every day, Joan, but she does and she says she finds people kind and courteous and they allow her out. So then when I'm driving, she says, I try to be just as kind as the saying goes if you have a bad neighbour, chances are they have a bad neighbour too. Thanks, uh, Jonah. I didn't know that saying, uh, but I I do like it and I will remember it and use it again. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, Thanks to Paddy Duffy, who's texted us as well. He says that the three government parties and Labour have destroyed the social fabric of uh, people going back to 2008. And he says, we're expected to believe these parties now that they can put it all back together again. BS, he says, bring on an election. Thanks, uh, Paddy. Well, I think that's uh, what Pascal Donoghue has been saying. If there is an election, uh, the three parties that are in government will form the next government despite the very high poll ratings for Sinn Féin. It won't be enough. Uh, John says, it's amazing how Father Sean Healy has no sympathy for the working man and woman paying taxes that keep individuals he alleges, that keep the individuals he alleges uh, he represents. Uh, uh, John, meaning that the taxes pay for the welfare and so on. Thanks uh, for that, John. Uh, Deirdre in Kell says they need to roll out the boosters big time instead of having people waiting up to five hours in places. Five hours uh, waiting time in Navin yesterday uh, at times. Uh, but uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people listening to us are very much aware of that. And we'll be talking about it a little bit later on as well, Deirdre. She says uh, they should uh, get anybody who can administer the uh, vaccination on board to help out. Uh, Mick and Kel says he's on a pay-as-you-go ESB meter and it takes around five euro a day. Uh, Mick says, if I, if I never put a light on, they still deduct the five euro. It's a contract with the ESB, apparently. God, I didn't know that, Mick. Thanks uh, for letting us know, though, and uh, for making contact with the programme today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, in response uh, to the Hollier's uh, protest today, Retail Excellence Ireland has issued a statement describing it as irresponsible and a way to imperil livelihoods at a time when every trading day counts. Its managing director is Duncan Graham. Good morning to you, Duncan, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You didn't mince your words. <laughs> no, thank you, Michael. N- nice to be on with you again. Yeah, look, it's it's another big setback for retailers uh, today. Um, you know, we've I think we've we've taken more than our fair share of pain over the last two years, and certainly the ones in Dublin city centre seem to be the ones affected the most. So, you know, it's our understanding that this uh, that in fact actually what's going on here at the moment is that the Irish Hauliers Association are in fact having constructive talks with government. So, you know, it beggars belief to a degree for us here that. Uh, a splinter group, in effect, is the one that's causing the problem here, and that they're planning to, to blockade the capital less than 
two weeks to Christmas. Um, you know, it's been extremely difficult, as your listeners will appreciate, over the last uh, few weeks, with last week's storms effectively blocking out two days' worth of trade on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and then the truckers were also on the streets of Dublin um, a week or so before that. So, you know, it's we, we seem to have taken a lot of pain at the moment. Mm. But you can understand uh, why uh, they're frustrated. Uh, the cost of petrol and diesel is very expensive. And I'm sure you sympathise with that. Uh, I think we're all paying uh, ridiculous amounts for fuel, but they're uh, relying uh, on uh, the prices in terms of how viable their businesses are. Yeah, look, I, I, I absolutely, we do have some sympathy. You know, it can't be easy in the haulage industry. You know, and, and you know, let's face it, the haulage industry is a vital component of the supply chain, and the supply chain impacts retail. So, you know, it's inevitable that in the long run, whichever way this goes, these costs will have to be, uh, the costs that are incurred by hauliers will have to be passed on to retailers and then on to consumers. So, of course, we have some sympathy, you know, but equally, we're all facing into cost increases. You know, I've got retailers reporting into me that, you know, containers coming from the Far East are now 50% more than they were um, a year ago. So, um, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a real issue here. Um, so, yeah, we have sympathy, but we think there's a better, better ways of, of getting your message across than effectively holding the industry to ransom for the two weeks before Christmas. Right. Is there scope to bring down prices? Can government do that? Uh, because uh, another thing that has been said is that whilst this might be causing a, a lot of disruption, and undoubtedly it is, particularly for those who are trying to trade in at the capital, they are being heard. Uh, they're shouting, but uh, sometimes you have to shout to be heard. Yeah, and look, and everybody gets that. And, you know, at least as we say, the it does appear as though the Irish Haulage Association, uh, at a more a broader level, is having conversations with government. And from what we can gather, those, you know, those conversations are constructive. And, you know, that is around, can we not bring some of the taxes around fuel down a bit, you know, and make this a bit more manageable. And absolutely, you know, that's something that, um, that we'd appreciate. If that happens, that'll be beneficial to all. But certainly what we are likely to be facing into in the spring is significantly higher prices in the shops compared to what we were facing into at the start of 2021. So, you know, this does impact everybody and not just Tauliers. Okay, and there's many ways people can be heard or have their voices heard uh, and protest, uh, and this is one of them. Uh, Do you believe it's a legitimate form of protest? Look, I'm I'm not against anybody's Mm. right to protest in any way, shape or form. I just think but people could gather outside Lancer House rather than trucks blocking the streets and yeah. stopping people from getting to hospital appointments or people from going into town shopping, as the case may be. Yeah, look, and at the moment, I'm not sure that the, the hauliers are endearing themselves, particularly to, to traders around the city. And, and equally, I'm not convinced that, um, you know, that they're going to garner much support from, from the public on this one either. Um, as you say, there are different ways that you can do it, um, you know, than simply blocking off streets this side of Christmas. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting. I'm about to head into the city centre now myself. I think it's interesting that it appears as though the focus is moving more towards the ports mm. than it is towards the city centre. If that's right this morning, then, you know, that's to be to be welcomed to a degree, but it still impacts on retailers getting product in and out uh, and onto shelves. Um, and it, so it seems to be the case, but it, it's too late uh, in many respects because people have already decided not to go into town today. Yeah, absolutely. And you, this is the problem that we face. You know, at this time of the year, um, you know, every day is vital for retail. You're probably talking around 
50 to 60 million euros that would be taken around the Dublin area around on, on, a, on, a, on a particular day in December, you know? Now, the problem is that this money, it probably will get taken. The money probably will get taken uh, later in the week. But retailers are trying the damnedest at the moment to spread the workload and spread the trade across the week uh, for, for purely for safety sake. You know, we want to make sure that customers have a pleasant and safe shopping environment. The minute you put these restrictions in, in the minute you dull down a day in the middle of December, in effect, you put the pressure on the end of the week or another day during the week. And that means that it's doubly difficult to maintain those safety standards that we really all need uh, uh, you know, with, with COVID so rife at the moment. So, you know, it, it does add a significant headache to retailers. OK, Duncan, we leave there for the moment. Thank you, though, as always, for joining us on the programme today. That's Duncan Graham, who's the Managing Director with Retail Excellence Ireland. Now, thanks uh, to James, who's been on uh, the phone to us, or he's been texting us, uh, probably on his phone, I suppose. Uh, but uh, as I say, thanks, uh, James, uh, for getting in touch. It's an unusual suggestion that he has. Uh, he'd like to see uh, an end to testing for COVID and use all of that resource to go into vaccinate, vaccinating people uh, so that instead of having people working uh, on testing for COVID, uh, that uh, you'd have all uh, of uh, the people uh, and uh, space and everything that goes with it uh, available uh, in order to get the vaccines out quicker. They say they're going to boost the boosters, uh, I think is uh, the expression that Simon Harris uh, used yesterday and that they're going to improve on all of this, but there has to be some improvement. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who went to Simonstown uh, in Navin yesterday who would disagree with that uh, because uh, it seems as though most, if not all, had a very, very long wait if they were successful at all in getting a vaccine. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about uh, the troubles in Northern Ireland now, or at least uh, some of uh, the people who were disappeared predominantly by the IRA. And families of the disappeared appeared before an Oireachtas committee last week, uh, the Oireachtas Committee on the Implementation of the Good Friday Agreement. And we're going to hear from a member of one of uh, those families, Gene McConville's son, Michael McConville, and here's some of what he had to say to the committee. I had uh, plenty of contact with Republican people who were trying to get the whereabouts of our mother's body. Uh, I thought at the time that they were, they were trying their best to help, help me. But uh, I got to the stage of one of the last meetings and the person who I was meeting was more or less wanting to fight by me. So he was. And that was the reason why they the shut the, the meetings down with a hard with the people. Uh, I wanted the IRA to turn around and admit what they were wrong with Mother and Armour. They were blaming our mother to be an informant, which she was not. Neither of them proved what she wasn't an informant. She was a widow mother of 10, uh, ten children. Uh, what was she know? She never went out, out anywhere to, uh, to find out information for, uh, for, about these people. And uh, I found out by the stuff what they told me, but the, the most of it was lies. He sort of picked it around with me. So he did. Uh, at, at the time was uh, Charlie Armstrong. Uh, his body wasn't found. And uh, Jerry Adams, his body wasn't found. And uh, there are loved ones was scared uh, to speak out about this. 
and I spoke out about it and he, he turned around and he says to me at the start, he says, you think that uh, the IRA knows everything that happens in Cross McLean and, uh, and you're blaming us and taking Jerry Adams and Charlie Armstrong and, and murdering him. And I turned around and I says, well, there's no more uh, part militaries down there, only the IRA. I says, I says, and it was used as murder. I says, he's going to deny it all you want. And then it broke out from there, uh, there and there. Right? So, so. I, I would just like, I've always wanted uh, the IRA to apologize to, to our family for more. I know, I know the half apologize by saying to, to everyone that came with them that had murdered these people. Uh, all I want them to turn around and say, but they were wrong in murdering our mother and, mother and she wasn't an informant because she wasn't an informant. Uh, it's proven that she hasn't been. Michael McConville, his mother was, of course, uh, Jane McConville. Uh, Michael was speaking uh, to the Oireachtas Committee on uh, the implementation of uh, the Good Friday Agreement last week. Also in front of uh, that committee was Columba McVeigh's brother, Oliver McVeigh. You're on mute there, Oliver. Can I go on? You're on mute, Oliver. Oh, <laughs> we can't hear you, Oliver. If you're... All right, Jennifer. I just want to say I apologize thank for you that. This is Oliver McKay. Uh, involvement and Emer, thanks very much for your time, and it was beautiful. Eulogy from your But it seems like we're having a go at Sinn Féin, and I'm sure the young people, the young Sinn Féin members. They seem to be towing the same party line, as Jennifer rightly says. If it comes and it suits them, they will do it. But if it doesn't suit them, they will not be there and they will not put the effort into finding these bodies. And we need them to take the lead. They can't be called, as Neil said, true Republican people. This this is not a blight. We don't suffer the same as our victims of the of the troubles. We're the we're the unusual victims of the troubles. Because we are still suffering. We're going through a 46-year wake as, a, as the other families are the ones who have not been recovered yet. And until it is brought to the top table by Sinn Féin and them going and doing it, and them bringing it up the table and talking about it openly, not like a blight on their character, but please get these people to come forward. Things are not... Time is not on our side. We need to do it now. And this is why I greatly appreciate everybody keeping the pressure on now. And we need to keep it on and keep, for want of a better word, and being crude, keep our foot on their necks. That's Oliver McVeigh. Uh, he, uh, too, was uh, speaking uh, to that uh, Oireachtas committee by Zoom, as you've probably gathered, uh, uh, Oliver, uh, I beg your pardon, Mike. Um, Oliver McVeigh is uh, the brother of Columba McVeigh. Now, uh, some more comments coming to us uh, today. Mary in touch. Uh, she says she believes uh, the majority of motorists have been the victim of road rage or aggressive driving. She says it's rampant. There's no doubt about it. She says some people have no manners whatsoever when they're behind the wheel of a car and they're a serious threat on the roads. They cause just as many road accidents as speeding or poor road conditions. Thanks uh, for that, Mary. Uh, A lot of people in touch with us uh, saying they've experienced road rage uh, for that matter. Uh, Terry says he, he feels very sorry for the staff 
who are working in uh, the booster clinics and walk-in centres around the country. They're getting dogs abuse at some of uh, the centres and all because people have to wait for the vaccine. It's not the staff's fault that they are working in such understaffed conditions. So they don't deserve to be getting it in the neck, all because people are disgruntled at having to wait for a jab. I think you're absolutely right, Terry, if uh, that is the case. Uh, I suppose you don't have to wait. You don't have to get vaccinated, uh, as uh, some people will very quickly tell you. Uh, You're lucky, in fact, to have the opportunity to be able to get vaccinated if you consider that some countries uh, only have 3% of their population who have had one dose, let alone uh, the third dose uh, that we're getting here. Um, But uh, we'll be all getting it very, very soon. And it certainly isn't uh, the fault of staff if uh, you have to wait or if you decide to wait, as uh, the case may be. Maybe, Terry, it's uh, the fellas who get out of their car to confront other drivers uh, who are giving uh, this abuse uh, to the staff. I don't know. I still can't get over the fact that uh, people do that on a regular basis. There's something wrong with the world. Okay, thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you have private health insurance, you may not realise it, uh, but the insurance company has to pay stamp duty on the contract. The money from the stamp duty doesn't go to the exchequer. It goes into what they call the risk equalisation fund. uh, And uh, then that's redistributed in the form of credits to compensate for the additional cost of insuring older and less healthy people. So that brings down the cost uh, for those who are considered to be at higher risk. But COVID-19 has changed how private health insurance works to some degree. There's been fewer claims as a result of COVID, odd as that might sound, uh, but this is because of uh, the restricted utilisation of hospital services. And because of that, a surplus has built up in the risk equalisation fund. And because of that, the government has announced it's reducing the stamp duty that is due on health insurance contracts from the 1st of April next year. Let's uh, speak uh, to independent TD for Louth and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. And you're asking the insurance companies to pass on those savings to customers. Yeah, Michael, first of all, uh, I'm delighted I got an opportunity last week to talk about the head insurance. Uh, in my consistency, obviously, Michael, uh, like, you know, like, it, people's main concern is their health. And like a lot of people in this country can't afford to pay the, the head insurance. And the main reason why people do pay head insurance is the hope that maybe to pass the witness or not, not to be in a trolley situation. It's basically, it's basically Michael, it's, 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 a quick, it's a quicker way to win the health system. Now, the, the, the three main topics I spoke there last week, Michael, was, first of all, it's the confusion for start, Michael. Is. There's too many plans available. We just need to simplify it because, if you, for example, this morning, before I come on to your program, I get onto a website. It's called the Health Insurance Authority website. Basically, what it does, Michael, is it compares benefits and prices of all the private insurance. Uh, the, as you know, Michael, we have three private insurance companies in Ireland. So basically, what it does, Michael, was it, it compiles them all together. So I went on this website this morning is, and you would not believe in many different plans. They gave me an option of 303 plans. When, and I said, where do you start here at the moment? Is? Like people pay thousands and thousands and thousands of euros to join these plans. And in fairness, when you, when you do look, when you do go to the, into the hospital and you're looking for the treatment you're looking for, it always seems that the one you're looking for doesn't seem to be included in it. And you're told you took the wrong plan there or in a wee small writing and everything else. And it's, to me, it's totally wrong. That's one thing I complained about. 
Also, Michael, you mentioned there, in fairness, you really did sum it up well about the, about the stamp duty reductions. There's going to be massive stamp duty reductions coming in from April 2022. And I think it's very important that these insurance companies pass it on to the consumer. Because you know what I know was, if this was a price increase, it would automatically go up. And it, it, and it just it, it just really, really is frightening the people. And also coming from County Loud, we've got the Loud County Hospital, and we all know the Loud County yeah. Hospital is a, is, is a mods or two hospitals. And now they're talking about, you know, not paying for certain, for certain procedures in the, in, the, in the Loud County Hospital. So that when you go to the Loud County Hospital or Level 2 hospitals, your health insurance won't be worth the paper it's written on. You'll get no uh, service as a result of your health insurance. That's true, Michael. And, and to me, and as I said to you, these people are paying the, the PSIs, they're paying the taxes. These people are, and what these people are so doing So why is, are they getting private health insurance? What's private health insurance for? Michael, I'm going to be honest with you, Michael. I'd be sitting there and I'd be asking the exact same question. And in fairness, I asked the exact same question to myself because I private health insurance. It's all the damn with free because the bottom line is, if, if you look at the moment, is you look at the waiting lists, you look at it, it, it people think that it, it, it's a quick way into the health system. Because well, you mentioned you mentioned trolleys, uh, and we are here. I suppose with COVID, we've heard a fewer people on trolleys, uh, but nobody wants to be on a, a trolley if they go to the emergency department. They want to get a hospital bed, but health insurance won't make any difference for that. Michael, I don't care what anyone says, and I, I've got my own experience of going into the hospitals. When you go into a hospital. The first thing to ask you when you go to a hospital, do you have a medical card or do you have private head insurance? And the minute you mention you have private head insurance, the next thing to hand you is an application form. Mm. Before you do anything, Michael, I, I was feeling to that, Michael, and I hate to say it, Michael, is I, uh, back a good thing. But it, you won't be treated any differently uh, when it comes to trolleys anyway. Well, it, well what I'm trying to say, Michael, is it, it, there's, def, there's definitely a stigma when you go into a hospital. Is, and I don't care what anybody says. Is, when you go into a hospital, and you say you, 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 you private head insurance, you do get better treatment. If you don't, it, well, uh, it makes no difference for trolleys, uh, and uh, and I'm not sure what better treatment you get. Uh, you may uh, get seen on a, a waiting list uh, quicker uh, if uh, you needed a colonoscopy or something like that. Uh, but there's a, it depends on your plan, as you say. There's over 300 plans. There's a lot of people who ended up in hospital and needed this, that, and the other done to them, uh, and said, "What do I pay health insurance for?" Like I say that many of the time, Michael. Because, uh, for example, when you go when you go to to a hospital, right, for an appointment, first of all you have to go and you see a consultant, and before you see the consultant, you're paying two or three hundred euros just to see that consultant, and that's not included in in in, 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 your, in your in your private insurance. Mm. So that's that's extra. So no matter where you go, and I'm looking at people. Is for example, is if I pay my health insurance, which say I'm paying two or three thousand euros a year for it, and all of a sudden I, the only hospital that would take me in for my procedure would be say the Bournemouth Hospital. So if I go to the Bowman Hospital, then I discover then I'm in a small Britain that this hospital will cover 70% of my cost. So basically, if I go in and the operation is going to cost me 10000 I end up paying 3000 plus my health insurance policy that I had. So, mm. like, you know, it, it's a small... It's, like, it's dreadfully guess. American, though, isn't it? I, I mean, it means that people who can afford private health insurance get treated uh, quicker than people who can't afford it. What really annoys me, Michael, is I hear every day up in the dollar is that the government are spending 20, 22 billion this year on the yeah. health system, right? And also, if you look at it, there, and also people are paying private health insurance of 2.3 billion. Mm. They're talking nearly about 25 billion in spend. And they're telling us too that it's per head per population, it's probably one of the best, it's not the best in Europe. But look at the prices we're paying for at the moment. Is. And how do, you, how do you put a price on your head at the moment? Is? Mm. Like, but why, why are we... Why are we doing it through insurance companies why are we making 
uh, people rich uh, out of our sickness. Well, Michael, as you know yourself, Michael, we've got the slaughter of healthcare coming forward and the, the main goal they're not there is to have a single payer health insurance. So if you, if you invest in $25 billion a year into the health system, I just can't understand it. If you look around in Ireland, uh, outside of Ireland, is people are saying, God, we've got the brightest, the most intelligent people in the world. Take, for example, like the likes of Ryan Hill, Michael Hill. We've put some of the most intelligent people in the world in the moment. How can we never tap into them there and see what we can do? Yeah. I remember years ago when, when James Wrighty was Minister for Health, he always says that money should follow the patient. That's not happening at the moment. So we are spending 25 billion. I'm sure he wanted everybody to have private. He wanted to force everybody to have private health insurance and make insurance companies even richer. Uh, why don't we do it ourselves? Why don't we do it through a system of taxation so that very wealthy people, like the one you mentioned a, a moment ago, pays more tax, uh, and that you're not asked when you go into a hospital do you have private health insurance. You're treated based on the level of need. What, wait, Mike, I agree with you. I think why doesn't the government sit there and once and for all because. The problem doesn't seem to be money because 25 billion is an awful lot of money to be spent in the health system. So, you, so I'm, I'm not being smart. If you're a business person and you're mm. given 25 billion to set up a health system in, 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 in a country with less than six million people in it, like it, it makes sense to them. You think 25 billion is a, is a serious, serious amount mm. of money? And I'm sure there is people out there, some business people out there at the moment, is that be willing to get their hand and, and get a system in place because it's, it's, we can't keep it on at the moment. Is and if you look at this country too, Michael is. There's 1.5 well, it's just it's just it's just a question of of funding the health service better. Going from 25 billion uh, to a guy I don't know 30 billion, 35 billion I don't know, but uh, it means that people would pay more taxes uh, and whatever they'd be paying in taxes, they wouldn't be giving to insurance companies. Uh, and it may not make that much of a difference to people uh, when it comes down to it in terms of what their health is costing them. But I don't know if you remember the late Susie Long, Peter. Um, it was a dreadful story. People will remember that she was waiting for a colonoscopy. Yeah. Uh, and by the time she got the colonoscopy, uh, it was discovered uh, that she had stage four cancer and uh, she died as a, a result of her cancer. Uh, but they would have been able to prevent it if she hadn't had to wait. Uh, if she had been seen the next day, as somebody with private health insurance would have been, because they would just have gone in and had a colonoscopy done, uh, she'd probably be still with us today. Michael, something... I agree, mm. Michael, I agree with you, Michael. See, Michael, as long as we have a two-tier system in Ireland, this is always going to happen there at the moment. Is. As I said, yeah, money should be the problem there at the moment. Is. We just need a government to put a system in place, put the right people in place, Running like a business, and and, and I tell you, my my one of the most famous things I keep saying everybody: your health is your wealth. If you haven't got your health, you've absolutely nothing. We have a hospital here in Dog. Imagine two hospitals down in Dog. All of a sudden, they thought maybe not getting certain procedures are going to be paid for having yet. What are they trying to do there at the moment? Is and I I thought I thought that the Lewis Hospital in many occasions, and they have said that the pressure that the Lake County Hospital takes off the Lewis Hospital is unbelievable there at the moment. Is. And you're talking about the Navin Hospital there at the moment is people worry is it going to close and not going to close at the moment is. As I tell you, we have 25, maybe 30, 40 billion a year. We have money there to get probably one of the top class health cells in, in, in the world and we're not doing it. You, you, I go on holidays to Spain, you walk into Spain there at the moment and it's absolutely, you walk in, there's no queues, there's nobody waiting and waiting list at the moment. It's, there's something seriously wrong with, with our health system there at the moment is. And we, we've been talking for years with the slouchy care at the moment is. We seem to be a good country for talking, but no action. But I think the people are, people are really, really getting fed up there at the moment. Is people are seeing these health companies making a lot of money there at the moment. Is the government's giving a reduction on these levies, 
And it's very, very important that this money is, is put back into, into the pockets of the people in Ireland that deserve it. Okay, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Louth and Eastmead, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's go to Navin and speak uh, with the local Fianna Fáil councillor Porrick Fitzsimons. Good morning to you, Porrick. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you went down to Simonstown yesterday to get your vaccine. Were you successful? Uh, good morning, Michael. Uh, unfortunately, not. No, actually, I went to go down to uh, Simonstown to, to walk in centre, but unfortunately, it was a uh, tailback in traffic going back maybe almost as far as. Oliver School or you know it was really long and uh, I said oh maybe I'll try it again later on and um, I went back again and, and the, the queue was just as big and I had to come into work later on so um, I, I, I couldn't stay but from what I believe um, the queues were there kind of most of the day and then it was a two three hour wait there thereabouts uh, which is unfortunate but it, mm. you know, it, it was up, it was, it was up to five hours at its worst I believe yesterday uh, and uh, there were people uh, who were very frustrated parked up on the main road uh, because uh, the traffic had come to a standstill trying to turn from both directions I- into the club uh, that's right Jeff. Yeah, from what I could see and I only I didn't get down that far to be honest I saw the traffic and I just turned back before I realised what was going on but I'd imagine even anybody who wanted to travel on the Kings Court Road who was going somewhere else either into town or out of town uh, was finding it pretty difficult now to say the least you know so I can understand the frustration mm. you, you, you were disappointed I'm sure like everybody you want to get your booster before Christmas yeah well I've it's like I got my um original vaccination in May so I'm probably you know like most people in their 50s uh, quite vulnerable at this stage because it's probably has worn off and we're coming into a Christmas period and I work in hospitality so it's uh, you're very wary of what's around um, and the sooner I get it done the better and I think most people really in fairness want to participate and want to get it done which is, which is very healthy mm. in that sense but um, I think there just needs to be a, a bigger rollout like for example if Simonson must be open um, all week you know, this week and next week as much as possible and Fairy House, if the hours are extended there, that would make a big difference and maybe even one or two other walk-in centres in the county because the pharmacies as is aren't, some of those who are participating don't seem to have the vaccine and and those that do, they only maybe get in a hundred at a time, Mm. you know, and they have long lists so, you know, that's difficult as well so that walking walk centres is the answer but we just need to have more of them and they need to be there for longer hours Yeah, I don't know anybody could stand for three hours four hours five hours uh, in a, a queue like that uh, apart from the toilet uh, just standing like that uh, would uh, play havoc uh, with my back probably uh, the backs of a, a lot of people it's a, a very long time to wait uh, there's something ironic about it though yesterday uh, because whilst people were waiting for hours on end to get the booster in Navan 45 minutes away in Castle Blaney there were no queues uh, for a booster Uh, there were no queues in City West that was open in the morning uh, to the 60s upwards cohort uh, but very few turned up so they opened it in the afternoon to the over 50s uh, and there were no queues and there were no queues in Swords either I wonder if uh, that should have been communicated to people yesterday Um, yeah that's not what I wasn't aware of that myself, to be honest. Um, and again, it's if that's the case, I would certainly travel to any of those places to get done. Um, I think anybody would uh, if, you, if you think you're going to be standing for a couple of hours, a, a drive that's an arrow or, 
or less, it makes much more sense. Um, but again, maybe if, that's, if that was communicated better, or if it was on the website that you could just, or, or Twitter that you could go into it and could yeah. do this. Yeah, well, actually, yeah. worth mentioning it then for people because uh, the HSE have updates of the waiting times on the HSE Twitter feed. So if you're looking to get into a walk-in clinic, take a look at the HSE Twitter feed. Uh, but not everybody has Twitter, not everybody has a, a car as well. And five-hour waits are really remarkable. Yeah, and I suppose if you're looking as well, uh, well certainly a lot of people in, 50, in their 50s are, may well be on Facebook, but they may not be on Twitter, so it may not be the best form of communication mm-hmm. for that age cohort. Um, and maybe, I don't know, if there's just regular updates on, on, on their website, I'd imagine, you know, mm-hmm. and that, if that was kept up to date uh, early, I think that would be a better help for people of certainly my age group yeah, um, it, may, it may be on, on Facebook I'm not sure I know it's on Twitter yeah. uh, and worth mentioning that uh, I'm sure somebody will let us know if it is on, on Facebook yeah, but uh, it's something that I'd say a lot of people listening to us now uh, will look to uh, from today on especially if uh, they went away disappointed yesterday uh, have you been speaking to other people uh, who stood in the queue for long periods of time or had to give up on it uh, like yourself yeah, I know a few people who went out and just turned back and, and uh, some who lived in the North Navan area rather than drive out, walked out and even at that they came back. Um, it just seemed to be too... And it was one thing, <coughs> excuse me, during the summer, I suppose, when we queued and it was an hour and a half and it was during the summer. We're standing now in, at this time of year, is, is difficult to say the least. Um, but I think people will travel, you know, we most people want to get us and the difficulty now is it comes to the Christmas period. So... Will they walk in centres still be open right through the Christmas period, which is tough on the personnel there as well because they mm. want to have their Christmas. Uh, I just think at this stage, I would open venues kind of from nine until nine o'clock in the evening because people are travelling to work as well. It gives them time. And I think if we gave, for example, certainly in the Navan area, if we had the walk in centre there open all week until nine o'clock, it would alleviate the problems that you would have had on on, on, um, on Sunday and, mm. and communicate that other places haven't got queues, which is kind of hard to believe. I don't know what, what the attraction with, with, with Navin is for the for the vaccination centre. Um, mm. uh, if it's there aren't queues somewhere else, go somewhere else. Certainly that's what I'd be looking at there today. Okay, well best of luck to you getting it. Uh, it's very important. I know some people are desperate to get it because it's having such a huge impact on their lives, not just in how they're living their lives themselves, you know, that they feel that if they get the booster uh, they'd have more confidence to go to the shops or go to the pub or whatever it is. Uh, but uh, it's bigger than that for a lot of people. I mean, I've been speaking to some people who uh, are wondering, will they be able to feel confident enough to see their adult children over the Christmas time? Yeah, I suppose people have different worries at different times, I suppose. But And, and being at that age group, uh, I would certainly feel much happier having got the booster. And I'm very keen to get it now because I really feel as if the original one has come to the States it's worn off um, so it's really important for me and I would imagine for all of my age group and even you would hope that they would roll it out it, 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 to the over 40s even as soon as possible as well mm. but I think you need to eliminate the cues at the minute and, and try and sort that out but I suppose on a positive note I suppose um, mm. Michael you know the take up overall on the vaccination has been fantastic and mm. you know people have accepted it and have, in fairness have been fairly willing to wait and get on with things um, so I think I uh, 
as a country as a whole, we're, we're lucky enough that most people want to take it. Like Oh, oh absolutely. Like, it's a good complaint. We were just saying that earlier on. At least we can complain about how long we have to stand in a queue to get the vaccine. But at the end of the queue, we get the vaccine where it's not available uh, in so many countries uh, where uh, you've reports of some parts of Africa where just 3% of the population have been vaccinated. And you're talking about situations there where frontline medical staff, nurses and doctors are working with people who have COVID and they haven't been vaccinated themselves or older people or people with underlying illnesses and so on. So it's a very good complaint and we're very lucky in this country uh, to have so many vaccines available to us that we don't just get one or two. We're now getting boosters and we're talking about extending it to very young children and so on. Uh, but talking about people's patience, somebody was in touch with us earlier on, Parga. I'm not sure what you think about this. They were saying that people are at the end of their tether by the time they get to the top of the queue and they're being abusive to the staff then in the vaccination centres. What do you think of that? Ah, listen, you know, you can't account for manners. I can understand people can be frustrated, but it's not the staff's problem in fairness. They're just doing the they're doing a great job, I have to say, in difficult circumstances. Would many of the people who are queuing there do what the staff are doing? I doubt it, you know. Mm. So I take my hat off to all involved in, in the service there. They did a tremendous job. I brought my own mother um, during the week for a PCR test, which, thank God, was negative. A negative and uh, we went over to RD for it and staff over there were fantastic, mm. couldn't have been better and, and so accommodating. And I think the same can be said of nearly all the HSE staff in any of the centres. They're doing their best in difficult circumstances. So, yeah. And uh, you hear a lot of people, uh, seems to be every second person uh, on the news uh, when they speak to people in the queues uh, talking about how uh, Michal Martin said uh, that people weren't turning up for their vaccines. Uh, that really got under people's skin. Uh, but there is undoubtedly a, a bigger problem uh, that the Taoiseach wasn't aware of when he made those comments. Uh, and something needs to be ironed out and sorted out in relation to how this is being rolled out. Uh, yeah, I think anything like this, communication is key, you know, and it's important that the message gets out there uh, in a positive way for a start and that everybody is on, on the same page. Um, and again, um, I, I, I suppose, I'm sure there are people who are missing, missing their appointments or whatever else. For the most part, people want to get us, you know, and, and that needs to be encouraged and whatever we can do to facilitate that. Absolutely. Better. All right, well, I hope you get one today or tomorrow. Yeah, thanks very much, Michael. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Although there may, there may be a few people ahead of you now after uh, them hearing about uh, looking on Twitter or whatever the case may be. All right, uh, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor in Navin, Porrick Fitzsimons. Michael Reed on LMFM. It's amazing to be hearing uh, from so many people about getting their booster. If uh, people have been lucky enough to get uh, their booster, they're describing it as the best Christmas present that they could have got. Other people are terribly disappointed that they haven't managed to get a booster yet. Ian was in touch with us and Ian says that himself and his wife went up to Simonstown at half seven yesterday morning to find they had to leave and come home because there was 250 people in a massive queue with only one security guard who was under pressure. The Kings Court Road was blocked by traffic and some of these walk-in centres are not working. The need... Uh, they need to be um, the, the way they need to be. This is leading to frustration, he says, and anger among people who are attending them. I'm almost afraid to read to the next comment, Dean, uh, because I think you're going to be bitterly disappointed. You got there at half seven and left because of the massive queue. A text from somebody who says they got their booster yesterday in Navin. They arrived at 
7.20. The door opened at half eight and they got their job jab at 9am. Uh, our caller says, I'm in my 50s so I'm delighted and sorry for the people that had to walk away. Thank you to uh, the caller for that. Sorry about that, Ian. Uh, maybe uh, it was a pity that you did leave when you did. Our other caller, sort of an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes wait total. Lisa says uh, the HSE need to work out some way of having uh, these walk-in centres open for longer, especially in the run-up to Christmas. She says she knows uh, that they're under huge pressure already, but there is huge demand from the public to get the booster, if possible, before Christmas. The government has been pushing us to get vaccinated from the go from the get-go so they need to take the steps necessary to ensure that people can get access to a vaccine when they go looking for it thanks uh, for that as well Lisa Pat in touch with us too Pat says that without his private health insurance he wouldn't be alive today and uh, there are plenty of people who are in the exact same boat so it's ridiculous for Peter Fitzpatrick to suggest that it should be done away with thanks for that Pat Uh, I think Peter Fitzpatrick was saying that it should be done away with and replaced by a public health service so that you wouldn't need your insurance but you would get the same treatment Margaret says she sees road rage incidents on a daily basis almost and she'd love to know where I'm driving if I've never really encountered it it's everywhere Uh, thanks Margaret I see road rage all the time I've seen a lot of road rage uh, but I don't see people getting out of their cars all of the time I did see it once uh, maybe I've seen it more than once, but I, I remember once seeing a fella getting out of the car and boxing the fella behind him in the other car. Uh, dreadful, dreadful behaviour. Uh, and uh, surely there are more important things I- in life and we should be looking out for each other rather than beating each other up on the roads. Paddy Duffy in touch with us. He got his booster on uh, the 23rd of November at uh, the back of uh, the fairways in uh, and out in 30 minutes, including 15 minutes wait after the injection. What has changed, he says? Is it the funding, he wonders? Thanks uh, for that. Uh, somebody else saying Peter Fitzpatrick should know what's wrong with our healthcare service. Uh, it's uh, always been a problem. Uh, there's uh, too many vested interests. Just look at our, our national lottery, says uh, the caller. John is in Navin. Uh, And he says that it was ridiculous at the walk-in vaccination centre in Navin yesterday. Uh, John says, I was turned away twice in the morning. The gates were closed. I walked back at 5pm and was turned away again by security. They said too many people had turned up. Thanks, uh, John, for that. There were a lot of disappointed people, I think, yesterday. I'm sure there were an awful lot of people who got their vaccines, uh, for that matter. Uh, I doubt anybody actually waited for five hours, though, but uh, that was uh, the estimated waiting time at one stage yesterday. Tony, thanks uh, for your text, as always. Tony is in County Loud, and he says uh, just a a word about uh, an important report, a very important report, he says, released over the weekend. Uh, He wonders if uh, it was released over the weekend to distract attention from it. Uh, He says uh, this is the report about the hacking incident of the HSE, the cyber attack, which has cost the country and the taxpayer 100 million so far and is not to be acted on. He says it seems PwC and others have decided not to hurt the feelings of the individual who opened the email, despite the fact that such a caution is standard practice in all sizable corporations, including my, my own. And if this individual was not trained in IT safety, or if there is no such training 
in uh, the IT section um, than the very highly paid CEO of that very important entity, the HSE, I take it, Tony, should be held responsible. Uh, but either way, someone should be held accountable for this very serious breach. And apparently this was not a sophisticated virus uh, and is described as an off-the-shelf, readily available virus. Thanks uh, for that, Tony. Thank you indeed. Uh, I think a, a lot of us uh, have on occasion clicked on the wrong thing. Uh, I'm not sure if there was any ill intention and uh, maybe you're right at the uh, uh, at the same time. Maybe we should know better. Uh, Paddy Duffy again. Uh, he says, I think uh, Peter Fitzpatrick has become a socialist. <laughs> And he wonders why. And he says uh, that time will show that Fine Gael have tightened the purse strings and as a result, we don't have the same amount of people to administer the vaccine. And that is why there are queues. Thanks, Paddy. Uh, John texting us today too. And John says the walkers, the runners and the cyclists are all a problem on the roads. Uh, this is about road rage. It's not just motorists. motorists. He says they have no respect for car drivers. Uh, and they should be penalised if they're on the road with no light or high vis, says John. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, I'm sure, uh, if nothing else, uh, there's some truth in that, and maybe people would think about whether they're visible when they're out and about for their own safety, whatever about uh, the motorists who might knock them down and uh, cause untold damage. Jerry Floyd emailing us about uh, the caller who was in touch about their prepay electricity meter. He says there are charges other than the amount of power or fuel that you're using with these things and they're paid to the government, whether that's your electricity, carbon tax, standing charge, PSO levy, VAT of 13.5%. He says if you put €20 uh, of petrol into your car, you actually get about €17 in petrol and the other three is in tax. I think it's probably a lot more than that, uh, Jerry. I was looking at that. I think it's uh, about 55 uh, cent on every litre that goes to the government. Uh, but Jerry says that instead of the €100 Euro being knocked off your bill, it would be better to spend all of these charges. Thank you indeed uh, for your email. Thanks to everybody who's in touch with us today. That's our programme for today, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.